Happy New Year! I am Veronica Bamford-Dean and today I am thrilled to be guest hosting this charity chat podcast about one of the key fundraising trends for 2023. In this episode I will be chatting with the wonderful David Mitchell who is an expert in one of the most exciting fundraising innovations of the last few years, crypto fundraising. I've been lucky enough to meet David several times, as well as sharing a drink and the dance floor with him, actually, at the Scottish Fundraising Conference last year. So I really look forward to welcoming him in a moment. But before I start, I want to touch on a few other hot topics and trends in the charity community. Now, we do have a turbulent year ahead for our sector, but as we all know, there is an increasing need for the services provided. 55% of the public have stated that the cost of living crisis is affecting their ability to give. So diversifying income, which basically just means seeking several sources of income for your charity and not relying on one or two sources, is key. And for this, a flexible fundraising approach is needed, looking outside the box and also making sure you're creating financial stability for your organisation. According to Paypoint, nearly two-thirds of donors want flexible ways of fundraising. This means that people and businesses want to be offered ways to give in ways that work for them. Micro-donations, aiming for good, and sale fundraising are just three fundraising trends which you could explore with your charity. And as many of you may know, I'm the MD of Work for Good, and we help charities raise sustainable income from business sales. Now, sales fundraising is a flexible and sustainable way for businesses to support their favourite charities, and every time they make a sale, they raise a donation. In our recent Generosity of Business report, we found that 73% of businesses surveyed were planning on sales fundraising in 2023, with 9 out of 10 sharing that supporting a cause was important to them and their business. Now, you can download the full report for free over on our website, which is www.workforgood.co.uk to find out more. But let's get on with today's big topic, and I am certainly very excited to learn more about cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, and about all the possibilities this offers charities for donations and engagements with new supporters. So I am delighted to welcome David. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to chat to you today. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me on your first day back from the Crimbo holidays. So I am uh, truly grateful. Thank you. Um, before we delve into the world of cryptocurrency, David, please could you share a little bit about your background um, and also the charity that you work for? Sure, certainly. Um, so currently I'm working for Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home and I was brought um, to the shelter primarily because of their exciting approach to crypto and their very forward-looking digital work. And before that, I'd always worked in the nonprofit sector, specifically on the more technical side. So my first role in the charity sector was um, way, way back, maybe 15 years ago with Blackbod, who a lot of your listeners will know is the software provider. Mm-hmm. And I worked on their support team before moving to an organisation in um, called SCIAF, the Scottish Catholic International Aid Fund. Mm-hmm. 
They are an international development nonprofit, and they're a wing of the Catholic Church and quite a, a significant charity in, in Scotland. Um, I joined them as a data analyst, and after a few years moved away from the database side of things into their digital marketing. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple of roles in content and um, comms. And then I, I freelanced for a while, just around the COVID period. I think a lot of people in the sector started to think about where they were and what they wanted to do and evaluating things. So I found myself freelancing. And um, in that time, cryptocurrency was getting really big, really prominent. It was sort of everyone in the tech sector was sort of interested in it or dipping their toe in it. And I actually thought I would try and move into the crypto sector. I thought that'd be my next move. And um, lo and behold, while having a look for various different roles and opportunities, Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home were recruiting for a cryptocurrency fundraiser. And um, it was like a, a match made in heaven. So there was a bit of a whirlwind quite quickly. Uh, I sat down um, with Nicola at Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home who really introduced crypto to their organization and really pioneered it. And I, I got on board with them and it's been um, fantastic ever since. Yeah, oh, that's a super journey. And yes, I have been lucky enough to meet Nicola as well. And I, pioneering is exactly the word I would use for this, uh, particularly with Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home, and also the way that she looks at fundraising too, in terms of very progressive fundraising, which is super beneficial. Um, now, biggest question for anyone who is listening who has no idea about half the words you just used. Please, could you, David, explain to us in the simplest terms, what is cryptocurrency and what is blockchain and an NFT and anything else you think that fundraisers would find helpful to know at this point? Yes, I'll, I'll dive into that. Um, I have found that there's two schools of thought when you're first approaching this topic. It's good to know a little bit about the, the technicalities of it and to know what you're dealing with just so you can make informed decisions about whether this is good for your organisation and you can be comfortable with what you're doing. I think to some degree, there's maybe a limit to how useful a deep technical knowledge is. And, and I must admit, I don't really have a deep, deep technical knowledge, not like the knowledge a programmer or a developer would have, but I just have a, a keen interest in it and it's something I do um, both in a professional capacity and I enjoy um, just learning about but I think like all technologies that fundraisers use, there is a point at which it's good to know about it in order for you to utilise it. But then learning about it in a tremendous depth may not actually benefit you. So, for example, the the, the similar equivalent I draw is with direct debits. It's obviously important if you're fundraising through direct debits that you understand that top line understanding of what it is then you can uh, understand the intricacies of um, the back system and the various regulations. And then you can even get down to learning about the banking instructions and how data moves in and out. Um, and I'm sure you can le learn even deeper if you wanted to. But at some point, depending on what your role is, there's a limit to, to how much is useful. So for cryptocurrency, the way I would describe it, and I think the important thing for people to understand as fundraisers, is it's a decentralized form of finance. That tends to be the way it's initially pitched to people. So in the same way that we have various different currencies in the world, we've got euros and dollars and Japanese yen, um, 
these are all what we would call fiat currencies. They're held and um, organized and distributed and managed centrally by central banks of various nations. The idea of cryptocurrency, um, particularly Bitcoin, was an idea of could we develop a currency that had no centralized figure holding it and issuing it and being responsible for it? And could that be distributed amongst the general populace? And Bitcoin was the, the final so, uh, final implementation of that idea. There were many attempts before it, but the one they settled on was Bitcoin. So the way I like to think about it from a fundraising perspective is there's lots of different things that hold value in this world that can be donated to your charity, pounds obviously, but also dollars, also yen, also lots of different currencies from around the world. And there's other things that can be donated such as in stocks and bonds and items of value can be left in heirlooms and paintings and cryptocurrency is now becoming another item in the world that holds value and people hold it and people want to donate it and want to use it as a form of exchanging value so someone can approach your charity and make a donation to you in bitcoin or in one of the many other cryptocurrencies out there so that's the thing from the top line to understand as a fundraiser, that this has value. It's very much a real world phenomenon now. I think maybe if we'd had this conversation four or five years ago, it might have seemed it was something that was maybe on the fringes of society. But now every day it's becoming more and more mainstream. So it's this idea of a, a digital asset that has value that can be traded amongst people. And the important thing for charities to know is it's got a... Um, cash value so to speak so that means for us it effectively becomes a, a donation that we can realize as cash and use towards our project the blockchain is simply the technology that allows this to proceed and again it's it is worth learning i would say about blockchain technology the way it's typically described as a distributed ledger or the way i like to think about it is rather than um an organization or a bank holding their own database. We've opened up a database that everybody can see and everyone's got access to it and everyone has visibility of. And that's what keeps it open and trustworthy. So for example, if I choose to send you $10 worth of Bitcoin, everyone in the Bitcoin network can see it and they can say, oh, 10 pounds has left David, 10 pounds has arrived with Veronica. Everyone acknowledges David doesn't have that money, Veronica does, and we're all happy with that, and we move forward. And, and that process of tracking who has the asset and where it's been transferred to is known as, as being held within a block. And the blockchain is essentially just that continual chain every day, every 10 minutes, the Bitcoin network is updating, tracking who has money, who has the assets, where things are flowing to. So that's the that's the top line. Um, NFTs are an interesting offshoot of that, as well as tracking who has an asset, who has um, bitcoins. You also have this idea of an NFT, and the way I would describe it, or the way it's most commonly used at the moment, is for digital artwork. And rather than tracking who has money in inverted commas. An NFT uses the blockchain to track who has ownership of a particular item. So in our case, a lot of the donations that have been made to us have been from projects who create 
maybe 5,000 pieces of customised art, each one being different. Um, often they are animal themed, which is an obvious tie-in for us. And these are released or minted onto the blockchain by people who want to hold them, hold these pieces of art, and then they can be traded back and forth. And the comparison that I often use that people are often more familiar with is the idea of trading cards. Um, maybe when people were younger, it would be football sort of stickers or things like that you would you would swap in the playground or and there's lots of people involved in gaming who trade Pokemon cards and that sort of thing. And some are of lower value, some are of higher value. And this is effectively the electronic version of trading these items. And as a result of these being bought and sold, usually the people who are involved in this world are also quite conscious about social impacts. And often they'll set money and profits aside from their sales in order to donate it to charity. And we've been the fortunate recipient of several donations um, from such projects. Thank you. That is a really clear explanation. I feel like I have been lucky enough because I have heard you chat before and we've spoken multiple times. Um, but I do think it is really important, especially what you said at the beginning about not trying to over understand everything and actually trying to understand it at the kind of the top level, mainly probably so that there aren't any lost opportunities. Uh, it can be quite complex sort of uh, realizing a whole new sort of fundraising stream or potential income, but it's actually trying to keep it as simple as possible. And I think also what you're saying there, David, in terms of the audience and supporter group now who are dealing in cryptocurrency, whether it's a person or whether it's a business, they are trying to embed purpose into what they're doing. Um, we see it a lot at Work for Goods as well um, in terms of uh, businesses who um, use NFT, particularly art actually, and to environmental charities uh, or animal charities. So um, it's definitely a trend worth watching. Um, what would be great to know is sort of what compelled you or perhaps Nicola uh, to integrate cryptocurrency into your fundraising strategy? And, um, you know, there are some risks involved, but how could you and your team overcome those risks to kind of to take the punt and, and try it out? So I think the initial reason for introducing it into Edinburgh Dublin Gatholm's um, fundraising strategy was essentially that we knew it could be potentially very beneficial and um, it had been on the radar for a long time i believe since rnli had first started taking crypto donations several years ago and mm -hmm. um, i think nicola had been aware of it and um, edinburgh and Catholic were actually approached by a um, local edinburgh resident who was involved in the cryptocurrency world and um, who actually were looking for someone to donate um, money too mm -hmm. um, and approached Nicola and said you know I've got this cryptocurrency we'd like to make a donation is that possible at that stage it wasn't but that really was what sort of set the gears in motion and Nicola was quite quick off her mark to look into the options for taking cryptocurrency payments mm -hmm. and we landed on a system for doing that called the giving block who yeah. are very popular with, with charities as a means to accept crypto donations and um, and then very quickly, um, there was the technical side of it. And then there was also just the internal discussions about whether it was the right decision to make. 
And at that point, that's where um, Nicola created a paper, really, that sort of outlined, you know, the benefits, the potential risks, and, and addressed these things. And at Edinburgh, we get home, we're fortunate in that we've got a board who really value innovation and digital mm -hmm. um, advancement. Uh, so they were keen and they were good in that they pushed back enough to make sure we were um, doing all the right checks and balances to move mm -hmm. ahead, but they mm -hmm. were also gave us enough of a free hand to let us try and move into the space. When I think about potentially moving into the space and a charity um, approaches us to ask advice around it, there is probably a few key areas that I would say to look at. I think the first one is just a discussion around environmental impact. Because when cryptocurrencies um, initially came into public consciousness, that was a large part of the discussion. I feel that started to, to wane slightly as that discussion gets more um, advanced and more involved. But certainly as a technology, um, Bitcoin was certainly consuming a lot of energy, but also providing some environmental benefits in that it can use excess energy that would previously have been wasted can be funneled into Bitcoin and there's arguments both ways around that. Luckily at this point, um, anyone who's now dipping their toe in NFTs, the, the second biggest player or the second biggest blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, has recently made some technical changes which dropped its environmental footprint by 95 percent um, wow. which makes it a lot more easy to work with and, and just makes that discussion a lot more straightforward but certainly you would probably make some sort of consideration around your environmental footprint and the tact that we take is that everything we do has got an environmental footprint whether it's a direct mail you know even if it's television ads you know if you're mm -hmm. if you're using the energy if you're doing anything in this world, you're using energy. And we weigh that up against the benefit to our mission. Mm -hmm. And in the case of cryptocurrency, we looked at it and we thought, well, potentially the benefits here could be tremendous to our mission. And so we opted to, to move into that space. There are a further, other few areas I would, I would say that are worth looking at. And if in doubt, what I tell people to do is consider the crypto donation like a cash donation and see where that line of thinking takes you. So one of the things in the crypto space that's, that's quite big or one of the tenants that's sometimes around the people who work in the space is the idea of anonymity. So there's that question of, well, what happens when an anonymous crypto donation arrives, you know, in our donation form, in our wallet, you might say. Um, and it can happen, but we simply look to see what our policies and procedures tell us to do with the cash equivalent and there are policies procedures for that um, and Oscar our charity regulator and you know all charity regulators are going to have advice about receiving anonymous donations that you can follow whether it's cash or whether it's crypto so you probably want to have a look at that and review your policies in relation to just making sure you understand how where you stand in terms of taking anonymous donations and the other area as well is just around gift acceptance and just making sure you've got clear understanding of who you're happy to take donations from and who you're happy um, to politely decline donations from. The reason that's quite important is that 
in the cryptocurrency space, there are some tremendously talented people and there are some tremendously generous people um, doing incredible things for charities. Um, but, but like every new technology space, there are people who, who see it more as a get-rich-quick opportunity, crypto in particularly, because of a lot of the money that's flown into it is susceptible to that. So sometimes um, it's not uncommon for charities to be approached by someone who wants to partner or wants to somehow use your branding and, and so on and so forth, where you, you probably would not be comfortable doing that. And it just is important that you understand your own boundaries and understand who you're comfortable to to be seen to be partnered with and benefiting from and, and who... Uh, what you might do in a situation where someone presented you with money that you are not so keen to accept. But if you, if you cover off those areas, um, you start to get comfortable with it and you start to see that it's not as big a leap as you first might imagine. That's very interesting and, and, and very valid as well. David, because ideally fundraising is going to innovate continuously. And it was a, a conversation that we've had quite regularly over the Code of Fundraising Practice, and I'm sure you've been very involved in those as well, because when that was released back in 2019, there was no advice about crypto. But exactly what you were just saying about really thinking about, well, what would you do with cash? And then how would you apply it? Because a lot of the uh, Code of Fundraising Practice is about principles and how many principles can be applied to crypto fundraising. Um, and I know you and I have had this conversation before when it comes down to businesses and commercial participation agreements, particularly when it comes to businesses, NFTs, for example. Um, and yes, there is no legislation about it, but there is similar principle that needs to be applied if there is a product or service coming from a NFT, then of course a contract needs to be in place with whoever it is. Um, and then again, obviously you step into the sort of anonymization of the donor, but equally it's making sure that you can still access that information to be able to pass through ethical and due diligence processes per, per charity, right? Yeah, I think it's about knowing, being comfortable with what you're doing in the space and from two perspectives, I guess, it's understanding it as to why you're doing it, both in terms of ensuring it's an ethical exchange, but also just ensuring that your own supporters are happy with you being in this space. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the, the question we're asked a lot is, was there an, any form of reaction from your existing supporter base when you introduced this new and, and sometimes um, not always well thought of or, or sometimes often quite misunderstood technology. And I think cryptocurrency has not always had the best reputation and, and even now continues to, to uh, have um, spates of bad publicity. Um, but it, it tends to be that that's very much counteracted if you can immediately demonstrate the benefit it's having to your organisation. Because and that's that's the other thing that, that's helpful for people to understand that the world of cryptocurrency moves and it's happening and it's going on out there and more and more brands and more and more big names are involved in it every single day. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's launching fully fledged technology or or pilots and a lot of testing happens just now. Um, but 
every day my news feed's just filled with like the next brand, the next brand, the next brand moving into the space. And it's happening. And the, the question is just about how comfortable you are to be involved in the space. And, and that's something that can happen progressively. Because in order for you to take donations from someone who sold NFTs, it's not really that different from taking a donation from someone who sold any other item per se. Mm -hmm. It's not really different. We, we think of it as being a bit like um, corporate fundraising or major donor fundraising and that the money is being earned and then is just being allocated you know, to you as a charitable act. Um, but then you can go further into the space and you can start to build collaborations and do things where your brand maybe does feature on NFTs um, and that's the sort of next step in. But you don't need to go all in. You can start just by being the, the thankful recipient of um, crypto projects, which for the most part is, is what we are in, in most of our dealings with big crypto projects. Yeah. And can you share um, an example of a positive uh, crypto relationship or collaboration that you've had, David, that has been really impactful for you guys? Sure. I mean, I think I'll tell the story of Pothidium. That's mm -hmm. the one that we always tell. It was one of our first big ones, and it's probably the ones that um, that hit the headlines and, and maybe we're best known for. Mm -hmm. So this was back when Nicola had just introduced cryptocurrency um, at the home. And as soon as the functionality became available to take crypto donations, Nicola took a deep dive into the crypto space, which basically means trawling through Twitter, you know, looking up um, cat NFTs and dog NFTs and, <laughs> and all these things. Um, and we had initially brought the giving block in as the software that allows us to take cryptocurrency donations. Um, and the fees for that process were maybe around... I think two and a half thousand pounds at the time and this was a tr very much a pilot a trial let's see if we can raise some some money with it so that's an idea of, of our outlay and um, Nicola had been looking through Twitter for a long time and eventually stumbled on a project called Pothidium who were um, a cryptocurrency and they in their initial creation had decided that five percent of all the the trading fees as cryptocurrencies are, are bought and sold between people, 5% of all the transactions uh, in the crypto space, they call them reflections, but you can think of them as like a little tax on every transaction that's made. Um, a percentage of all those um, transactions would be put aside into a charity pot to help animals. Mm -hmm. um, so Nicola discovered Pothelium and when she discovered them they just happened to be running a twitter space and this was back when twitter spaces were still quite new right. um, so nicola jumped in the twitter space her first time in a twitter space as far as i recall <laughs> um, and they were talking about you know we're doing this with the crypto this is the plan for moving ahead and we're looking for animal shelters we can donate to but we're struggling to find someone who accepts cryptocurrency mm -hmm. so quick offer mark nicola then immediately messages them to say, you know, we're an animal shelter, we take crypto, you know, what can we do? And I think, interestingly, one of the things we found as a generality in the crypto space is there's so many people who want to make donations and want help in the world, 
but often they're not quite sure of our side of the fence. They're not quite sure how the world of charity works and how these things progress. So Nicola had said, well, why don't I put forward some proposals? You can see if you'd like to fund one. And I think we put forward three proposals, the largest of which was to fund our pet food bank for a year, um, which is a project where we take... Um, we, we pair up with traditional food banks to ensure that the people visiting the food banks also have access to the items that their pets need, pet food, pet supplies, and so on and so forth. Um, so Nicola sent that proposal through. I think that was maybe the day after she'd been on the, the Twitter space or a couple of days later. Um, within the week, there was a phone call um, back from Pothidium. I think it was one of their representatives in Texas um, phoning us from his car to say they wanted to fund the food bank project. Mm -hmm. And I think within about two weeks of the initial Twitter space, um, Pothirium had donated uh, 26 ETH, 26 Ethereum, which um, at the time was worth, I believe, £82,000 or wow. just over $100,000, I think, at the time. Mm -hmm. So incredibly successful. And then that led to a really great partnership with Pothirium as well. Um, who were a fantastic uh, crypto project. They've done so much for for uh, the crypto space in terms of helping animal shelters all around the world. Um, but also they were very generous in that they funded the first six months of my salary at the home in order to see if what it would be like to have a crypto fundraiser in place. So I think that Pothirium as well as making a tremendous donation to the Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home, they also really helped kick off cryptocurrency fundraising in the UK because it allowed me to come into my role and talk to other charities and talk to them about crypto. So it's, it's really been absolutely fantastic. And today our um, pet food bank, which they have sponsored, uh, now feeds, uh, well, it now helps more than 2,500 uh, pet owners every month. So it's been a tremendous project and um, all made possible through crypto. Mm -hmm. And from that, Dave, I'm also hearing that the, the, the two weeks that Nicola spent on Twitter, that came from a gut feeling, right? That came from an instinct of this is something we should be having a look at. Obviously, for her, she was she had no idea if it was going to work or if it wasn't or if it was going to be a you know, positive use of time at the end. But she took that kind of leap of faith and threw herself into, well, cat and dog NFTs on Twitter, which I can imagine was probably a delightful conversation, really. Um, but what sort of what advice would you give to any fundraisers who almost need that? They, you know, they, they might feel like they've got a little bit of good gut instinct, but not sure whether it's going to be a good use of their time. Do you have any recommendations you could share? So. I think that the way you get into cryptocurrency and the way you get comfortable with it. Mm. Um, is when you're when you're you have a genuine interest in it, and I think one of the things I recommend to people is to buy a little bit of cryptocurrency, not a lot, but if you want to get if you want to understand the language and you want to understand the mechanisms within it, um, I would take you know whatever you might spend on a bottle of wine at the end of the week, rather than buy the bottle of wine, you know. Try and get yourself a little bit of cryptocurrency um, just so you can see what it's like for crypto to come into a wallet, just to see what it's like to track how the value moves up and down and just let you just get get your feet into the space, really. And then from there, 
I think the next thing to do would probably be to try to get that to get that level of understanding that is useful. And I think that's roughly getting your head around what a blockchain is um, and maybe just understanding a little bit about uh, the culture around crypto and NFTs. And that can be done by following some big accounts on Twitter, um, but also just visiting the cryptocurrency websites, the, the exchanges where cryptocurrency is often bought and sold, things like Coinbase and Crypto.com, and just doing some of their videos and their rudimentary exercises about you know learning what cryptocurrency is. So that is enough to get you a, a basis in feeling comfortable with it, because the reason you want to have that basic level of comfort is if things go well, at some point you're probably going to be in a Zoom or a Skype with somebody who does know cryptocurrency and you're going to be want to be enthusiastic about it. So it's just nice that you can converse with them at a basic level about what's happening with their project and, and how things are going. But I would say, yes, Twitter is, is your go-to place. And people are now quite fortunate to some degree in that there are really good charity projects like Pothidium, for example, um, like K9 Collective, where you know that they have a really good pedigree, no pun intended, of um, donating to charities. And you can understand that they are a good model to emulate and you can see what they are doing well and see how it works from their perspective. So you can follow projects like them and just really watch and just understand the way they talk and see how charities like Edinburgh Dog and Cattle interact with them and start to get a feel for how that works. So I think if, if you have an instinct that it might be right for your organisation, um, it, it is that Twitter research that I think is probably going to be the initial thing that, that moves your step ahead. There's sometimes an idea proffered, which is that if you turn on the functionality to accept crypto, the donations will come. I'm not as... I'm not quite as convinced that that is enough for a lot of organisations. Um, it, it obviously depends on your demographics and supporter base and so on and so forth. But we've we've found that our basic, biggest successes and the things that make crypto tremendously worthwhile for us is that we have the facility to take the crypto donation, but we can also devote some capacity to the research and doing the footwork and just spending time looking at new projects and seeing who's up and coming and making approaches and, and generally being in that space. Mm -hmm. So it, nothing really beats time spent in, in front of Twitter. Of course. And I, I think that kind of echoes with a lot of different fundraising, isn't it? You can sort of exactly pop onto a platform, sit there, hope for the best, or say, yes, you'll accept X, Y, and Z types of fundraising. But there has to be a little bit of proactivity in there as well for, you know, the best, best return. share sort of three of the top Twitter accounts that you think apart from your own and I'd love you to share that but you could be the fourth sure. which of the three top Twitter accounts would you recommend for anyone listening to follow please so I think what I would probably do is follow one big Twitter account that, that of a cryptocurrency project um so let's say Pothidium for that so if anyone looks mm -hmm. up Pothidium they'll see um, a, a rich history of donations they've made and, and how it works. Mm -hmm. They're a cryptocurrency project. I'd also say to have a look at an NFT project who are heavily involved in the crypt, in the charitable space. 
And I would say, if you look up an organization called Dogs Unchained, they're, they're part of what's called the Caring Collective, but if you look up Dogs Unchained, uh, they are the, the ones that you'll see making a lot of donations and having a lot of charity interactions. And finally, I would probably follow one of the big crypto news sites. So I would say probably Cointelegraph um, are, are quite good. Um, or Coindesk. If you go to Cointelegraph or Coindesk, they'll give you a day-by-day, blow-by-blow understanding of what's happening in crypto. Are things going well? Are things going badly? Is there big stories breaking? What's going on? So if, if you can understand the crypto space and understand a couple of people involved in crypto charity, the crypto charity world, that's probably the best. People are also welcome to follow me as well. Um, I'm Mitchell underscore David on Twitter. Your Twitter followers have just gone up now by yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll thousands. You'll be going viral <laughs> next next time, David. Pop onto your Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that'd be lovely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, people are always welcome to, to chat with me. And I do occasionally get asked on Twitter or various other platforms, you know, kind of pick your brains about crypto. And I'm always happy to do that because I do like talking about it. And I do think it's a good opportunity for charities. That's very kind and generous of your time. And yes, for sort of before I ask you any more questions, for anyone listening who would like to follow David, he's obviously just shared his Twitter um, handle with you, but he's also on LinkedIn and has said he will kindly take any questions that you have. Um, so yeah, if there's anything that you've heard in this um, chat so far from myself, you can find me at Veronica Bamford Dean or from David Mitchell um, on LinkedIn or vice versa on Twitter. So um, do get in touch, ask your questions because there's never, a, I think it's the right thing, David, there's never a silly question. And if you don't ask, you never know. And I'm sorry, that's a really boring teacher thing to say. I'm not a teacher, but you know, it's what we're told at school. But if you don't ask, you don't know. So, um, you know, let's, let's use this as a really helpful learning opportunity. Now, I suppose, David, just sort of uh, moving on to looking ahead this year, and try not to dwell on it too much, but we do have to be realistic that we are in the sort of current cost of giving crisis at the moment, um, considering some of the, the stats I shared to begin with. But looking at it more positively, because uh, as fundraisers, we are uh, glass half full uh, to majority of situations. Um, could you share what you think are sort of good fundraising opportunities for 2023? And what brings you hope? Because of the role I'm in, um, all the opportunities I look for tend to be in that innovation space, hmm. um, and and that and more let's call it the traditional digital space as well. Mm-hmm. So there's an idea in cryptocurrency that um, it's it's always notorious for having quite a volatile market. You know, yes. and it can be soaring for months at a time, and it can be in a a dip, a bull market, or a bear market. And there's this expression that when you're in the bear market and there's not really much money flowing around and things are a bit tighter, that's the time to build. And the cryptocurrency projects build their technology. But what we build in this time is our relationships. And this is the time to sort of be following cryptocurrency um, projects and, and dipping your toe and starting to understand the world. Um, because when it takes off again, it will just take off with such a flash that everyone will hop onto it and it'll be difficult. So even if it's not generating 
tremendous amounts of income if you're interested in it now is as good a time as any to start to learn but in terms of spaces that i think we are looking at or we're interested in um, we've just launched our second facebook challenge um, we do a, a really uh, great challenge where we get people to walk uh, 100 kilometers in any given month with their dog and um, we had our first pilot of it uh, in october it worked really well and um, we weren't that quick off the mark in terms of introducing the facebook challenge but we found back in october it was great and again all metrics for our February walk look positive so we're hoping that that is an area that can still stay buoyant and mm -hmm. even though we are in a, a sort of challenging financial time um for me as well it, it's it's again it's that space of what are people already doing that's a growing area where fundraising can be present and fundraising is valued and for me the next one on the hit list is the idea of gaming and streaming because every year gaming and streaming just becomes more and more prominent. It just becomes more and more a fact of life for the younger demographic. It's just their go-to medium of entertainment in a lot of cases. And so for me, there's a lot of opportunity in that space. And again, you know, I don't think it has to be a huge technical undertaking. There are great tools out there that allow you to do um streaming integrated with fundraising platforms like twitch is, is the big one for that but to some degree if you can find people who are passionate about your mission and your cause who are streamers then much like any other form of fundraising it's often can be good to just step out of the way and say well you know this space and you know this area how would you go about you know soliciting donations or how would you go about fundraising and ask ask people who are professional streamers or ardent streamers with their own followings and with their own knowledge of the space to, to go in and work within that space to, to raise donations and, and income for your charity. And that's more about just bringing people into your mission and your cause. And I think the longer I spend in digital fundraising, the more I realise that the digital tools, they are just that. They All they are is a slightly different mechanism, but the core of what's going to bring income to your organization is how you can engage people and how you can motivate them and make them feel passionate about your cause. So I think that's an area, um, certainly gaming and streaming is one we'll be looking at. The thing that I'd like to really start to dip our toe into that we've not had a chance to yet, but I think is a tremendously rich environment is um, metaverse and virtual reality. Purely because... I think we're stepping into a time where we might be able to do extremely immersive storytelling in that space. Um, and I think people understand the power of a letter, a well-written and well-crafted letter in order to move people. And I think people understand that there's some times where a video can improve upon that. And I think the next evolution of that is to really embed people in a 3D space that lets people see um, in a really immersive way some part of your story or some part of your mission whether that's to see the experiences of a beneficiary of your organization or whether it's just to tell your story in a really elaborate or exciting way so i think that is the the part that i'm going to look at in 2023 and um, 
to see if there's an opportunity for us to do some storytelling in that space. But it's a difficult one to get into at first because it's not a it's not immediately obvious the best way to move into that space. And whereas there's plenty of tools and it will help you with cryptocurrency. There's a well-trodden path for fundraising through gaming. I don't think that the path's quite there to get into that metaverse, as they would call it. And, but I'm going to try and find my way, hopefully. For sure. And I think there'll probably be lots of people, me really included, who don't have a whole lot of idea about the metaverse in very basic layman's terms. David, can you, can you explain what metaverse is? Sure. I mean, I think metaverse is it's arguably more straightforward, I think, than, you know, all these things like blockchain and NFTs and, and so on and so forth. My understanding of metaverse is the traditional um, virtual reality, you know, that, that seems to be on the horizon, you know, this idea of putting on a headset and being in a 3D world, it seems to be an idea that has uh, permeated since, you know, the 90s. It's just always been there, this idea of, you know, slipping into a digital world where you actually are physically present in that space. And I think that's what the metaverse tries to do. It's a broad term. Some people say that playing a, a big computer game alongside hundreds of other people count as a metaverse because it's really about creating a virtual space where real people interact and take part in. When I think of the metaverse, I think primarily, or the part I'm interested in, is in these headsets. And in I think a lot of what's driven that is Facebook's offering in that space. Um, they purchased a company called Oculus. And you, if you ever see somebody sort of playing a video game with one of these visors on their head and the sort of joysticks, that tends to be a, an Oculus headset. It, it started off as a gaming product that people would connect to their computers to let them see things in, in a sort of 3D space. Um, it was purchased by Facebook and obviously Facebook have since changed their overall company to Meta. So they really are, are sticking to this idea that, you know, come five, six years from now, rather than having a Zoom meeting back and forth, we might put on our various equipment or Oculus headsets and have some sort of interaction that feels less like talking to a screen and more like being in a virtual environment where we're both present. Mm -hmm. So next time we talk, we're going to have some... Uh headsets on and, and be walking our dogs from yes. the ch from your February challenge uh, and then someone is going to be uh, I don't know maybe monitoring us from the gaming perspective I'm trying to see like how can we combine all three of your visions for for the future yeah um, I, I think, think so. there's a whole fundraising challenge involved in that David yes I mean I think it's, it's yeah I'd love to see it it's a it's a <laughs> funny technology at the moment um once you try the headsets, it's, it's it's very enjoyable. It's like mm -hmm. a very fun thing. I, I tried one at a, um, a conference in Dublin. I think it was run by GivePanel. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of Facebook work. Um, and and then I, I thought, this is this has got legs. This is a real possibility for the future. Um, mm -hmm. And ever since then, we've been keen to try to, to work out how we can use that virtual space and how we can maybe, you know, develop a, a virtual version of the home. People can come and visit and see our work and, so on and so forth. So I think there's definitely opportunities in it, but yeah, it's a it's it's a interesting one to see how it can be harnessed for for fundraising purposes. Mm, absolutely. I think, I think with that digital space, a lot yeah. of the focus at Edinburgh Dog and Gatholm, I imagine, is going to move into certainly an emphasis on corporate fundraising. I think that's you know 
where money still is prevalent. So it just makes sense to, to focus there. Um, I think that'll be something we increasingly just move towards as well. Yeah, well, it's still corporate fundraising, business fundraising, it's still a very untapped space with the potential turnover that comes in from business revenue every year. So, uh, yeah, I, well, as you know, that's that's our bread and butter at Work for Goods. But with the millions of smaller size businesses and turning over 2.3 trillion a year, it's just it's two completely untapped revenues there. So uh, that's exciting. Good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear, David. I'm pleased to hear. So with yeah, some some corporate fundraising, some gaming. I call them disco dogs as well. You know the dogs that go for a walk and they have the little like disco uh, oh, lights around them. Yeah, I, yeah. We're not actually dog owners; <laughs> we're cat owners. But um, I see them and I just think disco dogs. I'm sure there's something in a fundraising there. So you That's know, I will, I will, I will give you some uh, some pro bono ideas for some fundraising. <laughs> but I'd love to see like a disco dog day. That would just be fab. Um, but David, it has been an absolute joy to chat to you. Thank you so, so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise and also your foresight into the year. And I almost want to say let's catch up this time, ideally beforehand, but this time next year and see if any of those trends have, have really kicked off and let's see where they've gone. And, and hopefully by fundraisers and organisations really looking to diversify income this year, other organisations can also take part in some of these um, potential opportunities for them as well. Well, thank you very much. It's been great um, to chat with you. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, again, I look forward to, to chatting with you again and see uh, what 2023 unfolds for us. Definitely. And for anyone listening who wanted to get in touch with you, can you just remind them of your details, please? Yes, certainly. You're welcome to, to find me on LinkedIn. Um, at David Mitchell, and if you search for Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home, I'm sure you'll you'll pick me up. Or you can um, make contact with me on Twitter. That's probably the social media channel I'm most um, uh, available on. And I'm at Mitchell underscore David. You can find me there. Wonderful. Well, we I'm sure you will have multiple people following you from now so when you go viral David we'll uh, we'll thank I'm, charity chat for it <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for your time today um and uh, look forward to speaking to you very soon thank you very much take care so thank you dear listener for getting this far with us we hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, plus share with any colleagues or friends who may be interested. It's just left for us to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. We'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And Forrester Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.